It's a brand new day, and we're putting the AM in American politics. We've seen the darkness of division and despair and are now jumping into the light of a bright path forward. Progress is here, and we're sharing its story with you, for you, all with the help of Signal Boost. Now, here are your hosts, Zerlina Maxwell and Jess McIntosh. Welcome to Signal Boost. This is Jess McIntosh. And what we wanted to do for you today was to play the very last interview that Serlina and I did with Michael K. Williams back in February. Um, we wanted to play it because in this moment, if if you're feeling as absolutely gutted as we are about his passing uh, over the weekend, you might want to spend a little time with him today. And this was one of the most candid and raw conversations that we had with an actor or a celebrity um, during the pandemic. And it was focused so much on recovery and addiction and mental health and, um, and moving through this incredibly difficult time. Um, and I left with just the warmest feeling about this man that I, you know, I, I've loved all of his characters. So to meet the actual guy and to have him be as thoughtful um, as he was, it's a tremendous loss, but uh, we thought that you might enjoy hearing this last conversation that we got to have with him. So we're going to play it for you today. Welcome to Signal Boost. This is Jess McIntosh. I'm here as always with my partner in feminism, Zerlina Maxwell. And we are joined right now by the man responsible for so many of our very favorite things and characters. We're talking to actor Michael K. Williams. And I just, I can't believe that we've got you on set. How are you doing? You're in Brooklyn. How are you yeah. pandemic okay? How how are you doing? Yeah, I've been very blessed. I'm, I'm in New York, I'm in Brooklyn. And um, yeah, we holding down the fort, you know? Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, I'm yeah. on the other side. What, what has sort of the last year and a half been like for a creative person? I mean, do you, you're, you're working. We've been watching you in several things during the pandemic. Lovecraft Country, um, we were chatting before we started, is our favorite, one of our favorite things that has seriously made sanity uh, for two like months, at least, that, because of that And show. it gave, it gave us so much to discuss. So that was just a wonderful experience. Um, but what has your pandemic experience been like as you, you know, we all try to adjust to what I didn't ever think I would live through. So I don't, I didn't know how this would be, but how has it been for you? Well, first of all, thank you. That's very kind to both of you. Um, and the truth of the matter is I, I haven't been working. Uh, a lot of these projects were, were filmed before the pandemic started, before Corona got, got here. Um, so what, what this time has done for me is sit me down mm. and it made me uh, realize some personal things um, about how much I kept moving. I never, I never made time to sit still. I never made time for family. I never made time mm -hmm. for me. You know, and um, I was forced to do that. And I, I was forced to find out who is Michael outside of, you know, always working. And, mm -hmm. and what are some of the, you know, corny things that I like to do? Who to thunk it? I, I like I like bicycling. You know, um, I, I, I started, uh, I got into some therapy. I started looking at some old wounds, some old trauma that, mm -hmm. uh, that Lovecraft, um, you know, to be transparent, had, had awoken. And I had the time to seriously sit down and unpack a lot of the uh, the 
garbage that I had stored up over the years. I think like yeah, most yeah. people do. Yeah. So I, I, I decided that no matter what, when this thing is over, I said, dear God, I do not want to come out of this thing the same way I went into it. I, I need to do some some work, some some inside work, as my, my brother Joseph I calls it, some shadow mm-hmm. work. Yeah, and yeah. So that what this time has been for me. That sounds like the most productive, positive <laughs> pandemic experience one could possibly have. Like I, I'm, I'm, um, I'm a little jealous. Actually. You still have time. <laughs> yeah, you I can, can work on myself in the next few months. We'll be good by yeah. summer. <laughs> exactly. So plus, we're, it'll probably we're, not be summer. But I, I, no, just, I, I just, I just want to go on, on the record, and saying. Yeah, I make it sound like oh, you know, like this, 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 like you know, magical thing that you know to do. And but you know, I've been blessed. I've been very blessed, and I'm fortunate that you know I had uh, when the pandemic hit, I was in a situation where I didn't really have to worry about finances. Yeah, yes, yeah. I went on a Corona diet. Yeah, you know, yeah. I went on a massive Corona diet financially, and I, yeah. I, I, I realized that you know half the, the garbage that I was consuming and buying, I didn't need it. So I, I definitely scaled it down on, on what I was um, throwing my money away on. But at the end of the day, I, I was in a financial situation where that was the one thing that I didn't have to like, like, you know, oh my God, where's my next meal coming from? And I, I'm grateful for that. However, um, I don't want to act like I don't recognize that not everybody had that experience. You know, um, our frontline workers, you know, um, people with with uh, mm-hmm. minors for children. It, you know, it, there's a lot of um, factors on people's lives that when this thing hit, you know, it it didn't the the where their life was at before this pandemic hit didn't leave a scenario where they could you know go off and or uh, number uh, right. chong whatever you know you know right. what I'm saying they had to figure out how to put food on the table, how to keep the shelter over the roof, right? And um, you know, so I just want to I don't want to act like I don't acknowledge that. I've been, I'm very fortunate. I'm grateful for the situation that I, I went into this thing in. Yeah. I mean, there's, there's, there's a lot of empathy in, in your work too. Yeah. I, I think um, I have tons of questions, but I, I want to start with body blockers because this is yeah. the movie that you have coming out. Body brokers. Body brokers. Yeah. Can I say blockers? Body brokers. Which would be a completely different movie. And <laughs> Body Brokers uh, is going to be available on demand and digital February 19th. This movie looks like the big short for addiction recovery. Like it's one of those yeah. like blow yeah. the lid off a whole system that you didn't even know was operating. So can can I ask you to just sort of set up the plot for folks? Because it is absolutely fascinating. Thank you. Um, I, I agree. Uh, shout out to the writer, director, John Swab. Um, actually, this scenario, although it's it's surrounding uh, the world of addiction and recovery, the scenario is not that uh, foreign, at least not to me. This this scenario looked very familiar to the for-profit prison situation mm, that's, yeah. that's, that's ailing our nation. Yeah. You know, prison is an $80 billion industry in this country. And, you know, I don't know when it happened, but there was there was one day when we stopped calling it the correctional facility and just started calling it prisons. And it became more about filling those beds than helping people to come out better when they came out of, out of prison. Now I'm not making light or saying that mass incarceration did not cripple the community, at least my community, 
However, I also subscribe to the narrative that addiction is a disease. Like people don't mm-hmm. decide or choose right. addiction. That that that's a disease. And um, you know, this movie, although it takes place in this scenario, it gives us a really honest look at the the underbelly of what capitalism can do to us as a, as a people. And I'm not I'm not anti capitalism. You know, I'll sell water to a whale if I have to. But but when it's time when it, when it comes to when, when it when when the line is crossed when I I am making a decision to take to take advantage of someone in their in their weakness that that's a whole nother uh, uh, can of worms that's I'll say so many yeah. crime stories are actually capitalism stories that's it and your your work is is really like are you drawn to that angle in particular or is it just so ubiquitous that you can't you can't get away from crime and capitalism <laughs> you, you know i i'm i'm drawn to truth i'm drawn to uh stories that 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 ring that resonate from the community that i'm from you know i don't have the option to assimilate into any other experience but the black experience mm-hmm. you know so uh, i'm fascinated by stories that are truthful that show that tell the experience that I I grew up in or that I was surrounded in. Um, so I, I you know that's the that's the um, that's my apparatus when I choose when I decide to take a role on. So for for this role, you know, you mentioned that it's similar to how we make money off of incarcerating human beings, um, and one of the things that is fascinating to me about the way in which people would exploit those who suffer from the disease of addiction is that even in in other contexts, it's it's even more of a choice than in the context of addiction, right? I mean, like people are committing crimes because of a need or they're in a desperate situation or because they want a thing or for whatever other reason. But there's like, there is a reason with addiction. It's like, it's by it's something about your your brain. Yeah, it it's by yeah. It, it you can't do anything about it. like it, it. You know, it, in the sense that like you are you have to acknowledge it and, and go through the process. But it feels Absolutely. to me like taking advantage of that type of person is a specific type of evil or bad or morally wrong. You know, versus in in, yeah. in a different context. I what agree. Was, I think it's pretty deplorable. Yeah, it, and so what was the thing about sort of the character that you play, which looked like fun? Uh, to play this character because, you know, I think we all sort of, I don't know, sometimes I imagine what it would be like to have no no moral compass. Maybe it's easier, but I don't know. Probably. So what is it like to sort of explore portraying what? that type of person? Yeah. A lot of times um, it's, it's, it's been to, it's my knowledge that uh, when we, when Hollywood tells stories of of an addict or, you know, the, or the recovering addict. Oftentimes I find that the emphasis is placed on, you know, the drug or what the person did while they were on drugs. And then when the person puts down the drug, you know, everything goes back to, to, to normal. And from my experience, that, that couldn't be further from the truth. Um, mm-hmm. Drugs is not the problem. Drugs and alcohol are not the problem. Um, there are they are merely symptoms of the problem, and when we and when a person puts down the drug or the alcohol, they have to then deal with all the stuff that they were medicating in the first place. So um, those character defects they don't go they don't just magically disappear when you put down mm-hmm. your substance. Those that that moral compass does that that skew doesn't automatically get balanced or aligned with 
with um with what the universe is really all about just because you put down the drug or the alcohol mm -hmm. that requires a lot of hard work in fact that's the real work begins when you when a person puts the drug down and you know recovery it is extremely messy it's sloppy there's no straight road and for me wood gives a real like like honest look at what someone in recovery can look like the whole spectrum you know here's a man who's put down the drugs and you know his moral compass is off you know he has you know he you know he doesn't even know it he thinks that by bringing um uh utah into the situation you know also so young in his sobriety and his recovery he thinks he's actually helping uh mm -hmm. utah so you you know um it's just a full honest look at what someone who is um struggling with addiction or, or, or is in recovery looks like and I, that was very compelling to me um of um in the portrayal of wood you play some likable and like i mean i mean really <laughs> likable actual bad guys <laughs> and serlina and i talk about this a, a lot on the show actually how how the anti-hero and that trope is sort of usually reserved for white guys. Your career is a, a major exception to that. And I, I'm wondering if that was intentional or, or were you just, sorry about my puppy. Hey, bud. Oh. <laughs> That's Bud Lucky. Oh. Giant puppy. That's, what's it called? What's his name? Lucky? Bud Lucky. Bud Lucky? Bud with a D. Oh. But oh, okay. <laughs> we do occasionally call him Butt when he's going, when he's bad. Absolutely. We'll be like, Butt, go to bed. You play a lot of anti-heroes. And my question is, like, is that intentional or are you just drawn to Omar and Wood and, and Montrose from Lovecraft Country in the same way that we all are? Um, yes, I am drawn to these characters because they're not characters to me. I know these people. I come from the same community that they come from. And it was very early on in my career that I did make a decision. I decided to not let Hollywood stereotype my characters. Um, the same, the same pen that that they write the question, "Are you afraid of being stereotyped in Hollywood?" is the same pen that they use to redline the community. Um, just because you and I came from the same community, we may even live in the same building, we may even come from the same broken home, we may have both even been incarcerated at some point in our lives that does not give another person the right to say that they're going to have the same outcome they're going to end up the same place i may wake up one day and just get my life together you you may decide to do the same as well in a different direction or may not we, you know so so i you know no one wakes up saying that they want to break the law as a way of life you know though you know selling drugs robbing people you you know those things are done out of an act of desperation when yep. people feel that they have no other options you know and i've i've seen the 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 little breadcrumbs that are that are placed in my community to make someone with a lot of potential feel like this is their only way out i've seen the innocence lost i've seen the youth get get you know caught up in the in in i hate to use this term but for right now we'll go with it the whole uh, 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 um, you, you know, um, um, systemic um, issues that that played the community. That's that's the, those those you know our, 
uh, Ava DuVernay, she said something that was so brilliant. It kind of like, it was jarring. She said, the system is not broken. It is doing exactly what it was designed to do. And so with this knowledge, you know, and coming from my community, I've seen people, good people, make bad choices. And I'm no different. You know, I know their mothers. Don't worry. I know their mothers. I know their aunts. I know their sisters and brothers. They, they're family to me. And I, I still have connections to a lot of people from my community. And, and so it, I felt that when, <coughs> when, when Hollywood was, was calling me and, and, and I was being asked to portray, you know, urban characters, I immediately took that as a, as a, as, as a huge honor and a, and a, um, a huge responsibility you know, to, 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 um, play people, characters based on people from my community with, with respect and, 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 and honor and empathy and compassion. You know, you may not agree <coughs> with, a, no worries. You may not agree with, uh, the choices that my characters may make, but you will come to understand how a person can end up making these types of choices. Like, what is it that, that led them this way? That that's my job when I tell when I am when I'm asked to tell the stories that I'm asked to tell. Do you have a favorite character? Wow, do I have a favorite character? Um, yes, I do. Uh, I, I blank his the na- his name right now, but it was a small movie. I got to say, one of my favorite characters. Um, okay. Um, it was a small movie called uh, The Public. And it was written and directed by uh, uh, Emilio Estevan, Estevan, excuse me. And um, that character really touched my heart. It's about the homeless situation in um, in um, Cincinnati, in Cleveland. One of the cities. One of the yeah. cities. And um, yeah, that character sticks out right now as one of my favorite characters and one of my favorite stories to, to be a part of. Now why I didn't you like check that out? Yeah, I know. I haven't seen that. I'm like, well, I'm like, why? Why did that character? I mean, because you played memorable characters. I mean, a number, um, and it feels like you know, it could be Omar. The, the public, I mean, for me, the it's a, for, is a, you know, there's something about it? there's something about playing people, playing a, a part of our of our society that is so vulnerable. And the public yeah. is about the homeless uh, yeah. community. Our, 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 the part of the people that live in our, out of, from our community that do not have a home. I, I chose because even when we call them homeless, mm-hmm. in my mind that is subconsciously othering them. Yep. Mm-hmm. And so, don't make a person pe- a noun. Yes, yes, thank yeah. you. So these are people in my community that just do not happen to have a home. And to me, that is a another level of vulnerability. And um, the public is about. The, the um the people in our community that do not have a home and they decided to take a stand mm-hmm. and to not let society uh um other them or to to you know to 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 brush over them to act like they don't they they said no I'm I'm here and you're going to see me t- on this day yeah. and the movie's about that day and oh. uh, that sounds amazing. I know. I'm right. like, wait, so, I need to get this so <laughs> now. In, in Body Brokers, you actually, you worked with a director that had the lived experience of the movie. And considering what, what your career is and how rarely that probably happens, especially given the characters that you're portraying, 
the, the director actually went through the experience with addiction and exploitation. What, what was it like to be on a set where the director, this was his reality? Like he was able to bring you the truth of it. Well, um, you know, um, you know, well, you know, in the, in, you know, in the writing process, he bought, and the in the writing and the directing process, he bought in a level of honesty and research that, you know, you don't necessarily often get. But um, I was, um, you know, I was, I was um, accessing my own uh, experience with recovery for for wood. So, it must um, be, yeah. Really, uh, it was a, it was a real experience. This this story, you know. I remember there was a time in my life when I would wake up or I, I would be up, <laughs> rather, you know, two three in the morning, and I'd be watching television. I would see these commercials about these really elaborate and beautiful uh, recovery homes in Malibu, and you know, mm-hmm. and I would be like, man, if I could just get there, you know, when I get my life together, and to think that this is what was really going on. Yeah. Um, mm. it, it made me kind of sick to my stomach to know that, you know, I was taken advantage of in my weakness. You've know, so. been thinking about how, because I think if you couple it with any of any understanding of the pharmaceutical industry and how, um, you know, well, we call it the opioid crisis because it's, it's not black people that are are um, major the majority of what's being covered as suffering, even though they are very much still suffering from those same things. Um, but you know how they are purposely giving it to people, knowing that they will become addicted, and then understanding that you know through the experience of the disease, then going into being taken advantage of again in the process of recovery. It just feels like. Maybe it is capitalism. I didn't know we, I didn't feel like we, we needed to make this a, we don't like capitalism because <laughs> I feel like we, we live in it, but I have, we have our critiques uh, and this will be one. Exploitation is the thing that, whew, it sticks You can have a capitalist cross. society without exploitation. It'd be fine. I, want, I like shopping. You know, <laughs> I, I like selling. We could do it. <laughs> Wait. I will, and you know? we always say we'll pay more. I'll pay more for the thing. Yeah. You know, if I know that the, you know, you're paying all of your employees a living wage, I'm much more likely to enjoy my experience at your establishment knowing that. I've been, I've been really, you know, um, since this whole pandemic and the unfortunate, untimely murder of uh, George Floyd and Breonna Taylor, I've been making it more of a conscious to, um, to buy black. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Make, you know, been living in that space a little bit, you know, but, um, I, I want to get back to what you mentioned about the opioid situation. So uh, Body Brokers was filmed in John's hometown of Tulsa, Oklahoma. Mm. And um, I didn't know until I got there that we spoke about the big farmer, uh, farmer. One of them, I believe it's Johnson & Johnson, that that were, they, uh, they knowingly sold that product to addict people and then was they they ran around the other side of the other of the alley and caught him on the way out selling them the antidote um new low and no, um, it's- when they when they got when they got busted um they had to pay nine point something billion dollars guess which guess which city they had to pay that to oh. Tulsa Oklahoma 
Oh, wow. And that, that was the city we filmed in. So I got to see the trauma, you know, walking around that city. Not to mention, you know, I visited Black Wall Street. That was a, that's another um, topic. But um, shout out to my brother Rico Wrights, who owns Black Wall Street, like our gallery, We Buy Black, right? Yes. But, um, but seeing all of the, seeing this uh, spirit of the city that was so severely traumatized and, and preyed upon, Seeing the city awaken again was one of the most humbling things I, I can't really put into words. You can see the trauma in the everyday people in the city, and you can see the spirit coming back. You know, mm-hmm. um, you can see the pride in the community slowly coming back. And that was one of the most humbling things to uh, to see while I was working. And I definitely used that and put it into the character. Body Brokers comes out on February 19th on demand and digital. Michael K. Williams, thank you so much for hanging out thank with you. us. Thank you. And um, I don't want to you've made. Thanks for that. I don't want to hold you because huh? you, your lunch is going to get cold now. Yeah, go, go oh, eat. Let me prevent good. it from burning, <laughs> but now you have to go eat it. I'm thank always you. focused on the food, no matter what the situation. Oh, I'm a foodie. We can yeah, like eat I'm, any day. I'm always down to eat. On making sure that you eat, the food is always on my mind. That's, yeah, I appreciate it, man. <laughs> Hope to see y'all soon. Stay Thank safe. you so much. Have a great day. Stay safe. You too. Everybody knows that you've been hopping on my roof, but you got the girls going crazy. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You treat me like a one-off and I treat you like my boo. And you like how that